Hey there, folks. Welcome to episode 23 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name is Rob Woods, and this is the show for anyone who works in charity fundraising and who wants ideas for how to raise more money, really enjoy their job, and make a bigger difference, even during the pandemic. I know that life is tougher than usual for many of us at the moment, with plenty of professional and personal challenges to deal with, and I really hope you're doing okay in the face of all that. And if you're the leader of a team, large or small, then I hope you're going to find today's episode encouraging and practical. Because today we're looking at the crucial subject of leadership during the pandemic and lockdown. To explore some key principles that will help, I was lucky enough to set up an interview with Paul McKenzie, who I've long admired as an excellent fundraiser and leader. Paul is Executive Director of Fundraising and Communications at DePaul UK, and his team are doing incredibly well with their fundraising in really difficult circumstances. You'll hear from the way he talks how proud Paul is of his team. In this, the first half of my conversation with Paul, we explore three things that he believes are disproportionately important for a leader to give their attention to during this crisis. Clearly, there are dozens of problems leaders need to be solving at the moment, and that's precisely why I thought it was so helpful to hear what Paul prioritises ahead of everything else. Now, I've had the chance to work with Paul through various training events, including my Breakfast Club for Leaders and through the Bright Spot Members Club over the years. Whenever he has spoken at these events, our audience has been helped not only by what he says, but also by the fact that he so clearly walks the walk. I really enjoyed this encouraging conversation with Paul about such a crucial topic, and I hope you do too. This episode of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast is brought to you by the Bright Spot Members Club. As a practical alternative to one-off conferences and courses whose impact can fade all too quickly, the Members Club is an online resource that gives you ongoing access to a whole library of video training courses, monthly coaching webinars and live training events. It's all designed to help you learn, enjoy your job and raise more money. To join the 300 fundraisers already in the club, or just to find out more, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk. Paul McKenzie, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, Rob. How are you? Yeah, very well. Bearing up in some very interesting times, juggling the homeschooling and the and the work and the Zoom and all the rest of it, and my technical challenges in some of those areas. How are you getting on juggling your personal and your professional? Um, I'm doing all right. I've, I've got a toddler who's just under three and a wife who's an a and doctor. So those two things together plus a director role are um, an interesting balance, I would say. I'm getting very good at having my son on conference calls. Um, but yeah, I'm doing, I think we are getting to the new normal. So it's okay at the moment, I think. Well done. Yes, it uh, makes for some very interesting and different and sometimes more charming communication, doesn't it, apart from anything else, at its best. Paul, I saw a short film you made and posted on LinkedIn very recently, and uh, it, it made me smile, it inspired me. You, you and I have worked together in at various times over the years, and I've always um, had that same reaction. I've learned things, I've, I've found what you're doing as a fundraiser and as a leader inspiring, and this film uh, had the same effect on me. So at very short notice, thank you for agreeing to let me interview you for the podcast. And one of the things you mentioned that on that film is how proud you are of, of your, your team. So you're the Executive Director for Fundraising and Communications at DePaul UK. And one, one thing I observed is that y- your, your team have been 
unbelievable. And in your words, they're smashing it. Uh, you managed to get an emergency appeal out incredibly quickly. Um, you know, how's that going? How have they achieved that? I think, I mean, it's been amazing. I've been at DePaul for about a year and a half. And I think in the last couple of weeks, I've seen my team do things that I hadn't seen us do in months. You know, we've turned around emergency appeals. We've gone out in a huge corporate approach, engaging with donors that we've been struggling to get engaged with and creating content that we'd always really struggled to. And all in a time where it's what's oppression is really difficult. And I, I don't know, it's something that I've seen my team work in a completely um, unbeatable way at the moment. I think every one of them is working so hard and in very difficult circumstances in a completely different world. I'm kind of a bit awestruck by my team at the moment. They are they are smashing it. Yeah, and that's wonderful f- you know, for what they're doing as fundraisers, but also the way they're managing to look after themselves personally and also it speak volumes of what what is going on as a team and how you're looking out for each other. And to some extent, the, the way the leaders in your organisation are working as well. And the particular thing I'm curious about is that last piece, which you talked about in your film on LinkedIn recently, because there may be 20 things that are important for a leader to, to do right now. But I think a key thing is how do you prioritise above all things, what is more important than some other things as a fundraiser and as a leader. And in a moment, I'd love to to get your take on, you know, what your recipe for those three or four things might be. But just before we dip into that, to set the frame, what do you think the, is especially hard right now? What Why is it so crucial that we have, have to do the right things as a leader? I think it's hard because obviously, I mean, in fundraising, the world is hard. We're all facing very different we forecasts and pressure on us to ensure that our organisations can continue to function and fundraising, the buck ends with fundraising because we're the ones that have to pay the bills. And so I think as fundraisers, it's hugely challenging and very scary at the moment. I think, therefore, the challenge is how do you take that pressure which is being felt across the board for fundraisers, no matter what level you are, and try and create some momentum and an environment where people feel like they can get stuff done and it doesn't overwhelm them. And I think that as a leader is my, my job is to try and remove as much of that noise as possible and create an environment where they can get the things done that are going to make a real difference. Um, And I do think in this current environment, the mental the mental health and us looking after the well-being of the people in my team is the bit that I'm working as hard to do. There's a hundred things on my task list every day, but the first thing is how am my team doing? Um, because if I don't focus on that, then nothing else really matters. Um, if all my team find themselves in a place they can't work anymore, I'm not doing the organisation favours or them. Yes, and... I think this seems so obvious in a way, but I also see how tempting it is for a leader in a charity under pressure to somehow help the organisation survive, to make time to start there, looking after the people and their safety and their well-being, may not be easy when they're staring down, down the barrel and we just have to do some focus on task and get some money in. But paradoxically, I think unless you start there, we need to look after our people you know, in and of itself. And 
if you don't do that, you're unlikely to, for them to raise much money anyway. Yeah, and I would say that the, the hard thing as a leader at the moment is how much you pass on, right? So as a director, I'm having conversations every day that are full of pressure and stress and difficulty. And you have to decide how much of that you hold and look after yourself as a leader and how much you push on to the team. And I think at times like this, it's really easy to let it all go down. And actually, as a leader, my job is to hold some of that and think about how I engage with the team to keep some of that away from them and actually make sure they've got the clarity they need. And that's why, you know, at the moment, the first thing on my agenda point when I sit down with my heads of and my team is how is the team talk to me about how they are doing. And I am literally looking for a person by person. How are they? How are they feeling? They're struggling at the moment. I think this is difficult for them. Okay, what are our solutions to that? What can we do at the moment to alleviate that? Um, it's so important. Right? And I talked about it in my video, but at the moment, you've got people who are shielding, people who have been told they're vulnerable themselves, people who are caring for loved ones, people who have got childcare issues. And, you know, I'm the first to say I've got a three-year-old and a wife in A&E. I... And maybe that's make it easier for me as I totally understand that pressure and maybe therefore I come from a different perspective. But it's to recognise that and then be able to have conversations that enable them to, to work. You know, we sat down the day that they pulled, everyone had their childcare pulled. I sat down with every parent and we had a call and said, OK, how are we going to make this work together? And the main thing I wanted them to tell me was when will when will you not work? Because the problem is they were, how do I create space that you can have some sort of normal life? When are you going to look after your children? Because I trust that you will look after me and work for me as hard as you can, but I need to do the best for you. And that is a constant conversation. And anyone who's got children at the moment and trying to do fundraising or any job knows one day is different from another and you have to react to that constantly as a leader you can't just say oh I've done my thing and let's not talk about it anymore it has to be a constant conversation so there's there's two things there that require uh, extra effort one is that some people might be okay and be have relatively less pressure time and otherwise and some people will have more so point one just like in, in normal times leadership is not one size fits all you have to tune in to the situation of each individual and secondly even after you've done that it's not now a constant because some people could could be doing well for the first two days of the week and then have a dip uh, and i guess that's why your advice on the the video you made was you can't just do this once and then think you've you've got it handled it's uh, one of the key things is relentless communication not talking at them communication, but relentlessly checking in with the right tone to be able to then pick up a potential um, challenge or need for help and respond. Yeah, and I would say also accepting that responsibility. Like at the moment, I would say I have more responsibility than I've ever had to the people on my team because work is so important for so many people at the moment. It's a constant, it's although your job probably looks bizarre at the moment, it's so important to people. And when they come to work, it is uh, stable. And actually, I am seeing lots of people a lot of the time and that we are a place that can look after them as well as get them to do their job. And so therefore, I feel I have a lot more responsibility to help 
people at the moment as a leader and give them an environment which is as structured and as safe as possible. If I do that, make their life easier and a bit better generally, then I think I'll also get really good performance in return. And I'm seeing that at the moment. My team are working so hard for me and I am just making sure I look out for them. And that is a, that will keep going both ways. Yeah. A bit of the theory which I've, I'm more clear on than I was five years ago. I, the more I study about what it is that really great leaders seem to do is that they prioritise safety. You know, Navy SEAL teams, the best improv group in the world, um, all these high-performing teams that have been studied. There's a particular book which I really enjoyed and I really recommend to, to the listener if they're interested in leadership. It's called The Culture Code, and it's by Daniel Coyle. And he studied the highest performing teams in all kinds of different sectors, salespeople, the armed forces, all these different spheres. And the one thing all of really high achieving teams have in common is there's a sense of safety, which not means being nice to each other all the time, because everyone knows you've got each other's back and you're there for them. The glorious paradox of that is you can be more honest with each other and, and that's part of where the, the high achieving performance comes, in, in addition to the fact that people are willing to work really hard for a team and for a leader that absolutely is clear and congruently looking out for their well-being. People are willing to go the extra mile in that con- for their comrades and, and, and for an organisation when they feel safe. So I don't think it, at all it's a coincidence that your team have been absolutely smashing it and delivering wonderful work for you above and beyond. That is not a coincidence if the first thing you've above all been putting energy into is helping them to feel safe. Yeah, and I it's, I was, it was interesting. I read an article today about the New Zealand Prime Minister and about how they say that the reason she's doing really well at the moment is because um, when people hear her talk, they may she may ask them to do things they don't want to do, but they feel she has their back. And I think that that is... I'm going to have to, It's we are going to continuously have difficult conversations in the fundraising sector. That is not going to wait. And I'm going to have to say things that my team are not going to like in the future, just because that is the world we're in at the moment. But I, if I keep working in this way, they'll know when it comes to it that I have their back, that this is whatever I am trying to do is because I have thought it through from their point of view, as well as the organisations. And so... It's not just the nice stuff and I'm asked nice questions. In the end, when the tougher stuff comes, I'll also be able to do that better as well, I think. Yeah. And you mentioned several practical things you do there. For instance, you make time for this. This is the first thing you talk about when you talk to your your colleagues and, and, and your heads of team, rather than try and fit it in somewhere. Just before we move on to a, a different principle that you think is important right now, do you have any other practical thoughts on how to how to actually implement this concept i think one of them is that so i basically at the end of every team meeting at the moment i say can we make sure that you're really aware of your can you make sure that you're talking to each other and i just say it out loud and i think as a leader i then have my heads up and my managers who know i want that to be practical and i want that to be us checking in but actually it's it is a message. It's an official message that I am sending out. That is something I want you to do as part of your job. Um, I think the other thing that we're doing is where we're having 
quite a lot of social check-ins. We've got, you know, we're having drinks and lunches where people can just, we'll just chuck on a conference call and you can have lunch and chat to a few people. It's trying to create those spaces where people can have normal conversations that, um, especially for people who are living on their own, you know, we've got people in one bedroom flat who are really quite isolated. That ability to socialise is really important as well. So we're trying to do that as much as possible. Um, but yeah, again, it's I, I talk about it so that I think by doing that, I give permission for it to be okay to talk about everyone else to talk about it. Yeah. So that um, I guess it's it's in the normal world when being in our, our cars was a fairly normal thing to do. It's often when you're on on a journey somewhere and a conversation just just happens can feel less threatening. Sometimes you you know that's when people open up and 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 talk about how things really are rather than for us as colleagues or managers to expect people to talk about difficult stuff just when we ask them about difficult stuff. So if you're making it normal to, to, to have chats, then, then uh, you know, the, the trust will deepen and, and the range of communication also will, will broaden. Absolutely. Okay. And then a- another thing you mentioned in the film was, I mean, we've, we've alluded to it already, but would you speak, just speak a little more about a, a second key principle of, of trust and showing that you trust people why is it so important and how do you do it um so i think trust it i think trust is quite a hard thing in general especially like so i've actually struggled when i've i'm a bit old-fashioned i always sometimes struggle with remote working in general in the normal world and i think actually trust is hugely important about making sure that you tell your teammates i just know that you're doing the right stuff actually not checking in all the time on performance and actually giving people the freedom to deliver because you know to that point I talked about people who have got childcare. I've told them I trust them to get the job done now whether they do it in 37 and a half or 31 or 44 at the moment I what I really care about is the fact that if, if they've got that space to get their childcare and I trust them to get things done that we need to get done and that therefore comes back to me and I, I'm not asking have you have you done your hours and when are you making up your hours and let's see a timetable I'm just trusting them and I it's such a lesson for the future I think why didn't I do that before I it was like I think I'm a fairly trusting manager but actually in that kind of where people have got childcare issues you're always adding up the hours making sure people are doing the right amount of time it's the first question your HR team will ask you as they should but I've got parents who are doing incredible work leading projects leading our emergency appeal i've had people pass away who have had all sorts of really tough stuff happen i just keep giving them space and they keep delivering for me and i know that i'm doing my best to give them the space they need in difficult times and those two things are so important and giving that back all the time is something that is working now but i think will work in the future and it's kind of reiterates to that mental health point is people know i have their back I like to think at the moment and I would really I think it's been interesting talking to people who work in other organizations across the sector that maybe directors aren't talking as much or maybe aren't um engaging as much and 
if you do if you're not engaging, if you're not talking to your team, no matter whether your team's 23 or 103, if you're not finding ways to talk and to show that trust and that passion about what your team are doing, they're going to feel very disconnected. They're going to drift away. Um, and it's very easy in this environment for people to go missing. And I've said to my, my managers, I do not want anyone left behind. Um, and to me, that's really important. And I think by doing that and focusing on it, that trust goes both ways with my team. Yes. And th- this question might be hard because I think it's no coincidence that you've got a high-performing team at the moment. <laughs> Lots of it. It might be a little luck, but it might also be a lot because of the these other things you're doing. But if we, if there's someone listening and they've got real concerns that someone is struggling, they're just not performing very well, what are the two or three things that you would in- encourage them to be doing to, I mean, yes, yes, we need to trust them, but also how would you handle that as a challenge if it w- was happening on your watch? I would say it's a bit of a pyramid at the moment of issues that I think you have to think about as a leader is one is performance. So how is that person performing? That's the most, that's what you need. That's what your organization needs. The other thing is around health, mental health, physical health, especially at the moment. And then the other is about how you communicate to those people. And I I think that often what happens is that mental health and management is pushed together and people overlap it. And therefore you're not caring for the person in the right way. And I would say the first thing to do where you've, especially in this environment where performance changes as you break those two things apart and you talk to people about how are they doing? How is their physical, mental health? How is their environment? How are their family? What are the things that are they're struggling with? And then you take that and then you talk to them about their performance and where they are. And you will see that those two things will probably match up in some way. And I think if you can think about how you can support, you then think about how you support the mental health and their physical health. How do I do that? What can I do to give them the best shot at being okay at work? You will see performance get better in many cases. And then if it doesn't, then that's something that you have to manage, like any leader would have to manage performance. But And I think in this environment, that is so key, is you have to split those two things apart. You cannot talk about them together. It's not fair on the people in your team. You have to split them apart. And that would always be my advice in a situation like this or at any time is tackle those things separately and you'll be doing the right thing. Yeah. And my sense is if you're doing one of your following through on one of your other key principles, which is communicate proactively and regularly, you're going to pick up on the fact that things aren't, aren't working out much sooner before it comes to a head before it's a big issue and and therefore fingers crossed you'll have had a chance to, to help them make things better rather than discover it 10 days late exactly and i think you know that we have conversations at head of level about how people are doing in the team and i think personalities are very different and people are very different in how they work with other people so when you talk as a group about the whole team you bring in lots of different skill sets about how you see what people see in people. You know, a head of who actually isn't directly line managing might see something that actually I think they're struggling a bit. They were in my call. They were I, they were a bit worried about them. They were just not their normal energy. And their manager might not have noticed that because actually they're not, that's not their thing or that's not what they're as good at. 
And then by having that conversation, we can then see it, pick it up. Um, and those conversations have to be appropriate, but it's about um, seeing the team from a lots of different perspectives and then managing each individual and giving them the support they need. And I think that's what helps that culture of people focused first. And if you have that conversation and then you move on to performance and it turns out performance isn't working, those two things will be where the person is struggling. Oh, it turns out, oh, weird, we have a performance issue in that area. Um, so you need to be looking at that issue first and then actually you can fix the performance stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. And we've alluded to it already, but I'm I'm picking up that a third thing that you put disproportionate energy into is regular communication. So in, in the world we're in now where people are working from home and they're part of a team and there's, you know, they've got a manager and they might manage someone and then there's colleagues and service delivery. Could you talk me through what you mean by regular communication in all its facets and tactically what that's tended to look like in your team and in your charity? So I guess it's there's different levels of that communication. I would say that part of it is having a good structure that you're working through, whether that's heads of or managers, and that you have a, a good way of communicating through that hierarchy and that kind of really classic stuff, but actually making sure that that is working, the flow of information and how you talk about your team is working. For me, what I am doing is, so we have a weekly meeting. So we had one today. It was my joy of my day. And we did, what is the focus for the week on all 23 people to 45 minutes? What is your focus for the week? And what did you do at the weekend? And people shared the word. Two people did pictures. Um, what's the nice walks? People, you know, I did all sorts of stuff. Birthday parties for 18-year-olds, all that kind of thing. And that communication just creates team. People left that call feeling better than they went on it. And also we have a clear picture of what everyone's doing across the team. And I think it is easy not to do that second question. I think it's easy just to ask everyone what they're doing and not ask about the weekend and look at your meeting going, well, that's going to add another extra 20 minutes to the meeting. I won't do that. Do it. Because my team were laughing and smiling at a time that is very difficult to laugh and smile. And they have gone on and they will work harder and more effectively because of it. They will have conversations and engage with each other better because of it. And that is really important is that sort of weekly meeting. The other thing I'm doing, and we are using Microsoft Teams, but there's loads of different stuff that people are using, is I will just randomly message my team, anyone in the team. And I will try at the moment, I'm in my head trying to stay in contact every week every two, every like six or seven working days with everyone. And I will just message them and say, how are you doing? And I will pick up blockages in workload. I will pick up that they're doing great and I'll have a nice little chat with them. I will pick up, I've had messages back that have really said, I am struggling and I need to talk about it. And we've done that. And yes, I have managers and I'm not stepping their toes. They know that I do that, but it is about them knowing that I'm interested. And that, again, it goes back to the thing before around trust is that there is a conversation. I care how you are doing. And it's not just about, it's about their work. It's about them as people. And that is an exercise I'm taking time to do. And that constant stuff, you know, I'm making sure every two weeks I have an hour and a half one-to-one -one with each one of my heads off. That time is really important. 
uh, and we talk in structure, but we also just chat. And you're like yesterday, being, I had a, one of my head offs and I were messaging, and I said, "How are you doing today?" She went, "Oh, not the best." And I went, "Me neither. I am totally fed up with being stuck in my house." And we'd had a meeting in the morning that wasn't great, and and we just sat and had a chat for twenty minutes, made each other laugh. And people might look at that and go, "Like that's a waste of time." I think she'll be working better and more effectively today than she would have been if we hadn't had that chat. And then in addition to that, presumably there are project teams uh, uh, across department or whatever to get particular things done. Yeah, so we are actually, we've changed our way of working that we were planning to, but we've, it's happened a bit quicker, which was around squad working, which is a method that Spotify use and it's basically where you kind of have a lead. Doesn't matter who the lead is. The idea is it's not a hierarchical lead. It's anyone can be the lead. Task driven groups, and we're doing that across the team for five, six key topics. And we've used this opportunity almost to try and pull hierarchy out of it, put groups in to really work closely together. So I've got community fundraising officer who's leading on our virtual products group. Beth, she is smashing it. She's doing so well. She knows nothing about virtual products. I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying that, but she's leading that group. We're doing brilliant. We just worked pro bono with a comms company. She's leading on it. We're just leading, giving her that confidence, and she's smashing it. It's the same across the board, and that way of working, again, is helping us, I think, helping people to work closer together. Um, and I have to admit, the revolution for me in this way of working and I would not want to lose, is we had about six people who worked remotely in a team of 23 originally. And it was always the issue. We couldn't get tech to work and team meetings were rubbish because they were always listening into an echoey room and all this kind of stuff. And it did my head in, but I could never quite fix it. And this has fixed it. And we are communicating better as a team now because we are all on a call. It's a level playing field. And there's something to learn about that about creating level playing fields for everyone in your team on how they communicate. Because at the moment we've done that and I will not let this go. And there is no way that you go back to the office and we will do calls as much as possible in a way that makes sure that everyone has a level playing field. Um, that really makes a massive difference because that communication, again, enables the team to work more effectively and to have better relationships as well. Thank you very much. Well, clearly your team are working ever so hard at implementing that way of working and it's paid, paying dividends. So let's finish. I know you've got plenty more to get done today. So thank you so much for making time for the interview. Uh, well done to all your team. I'd love to catch up again soon and find out how it's going, how you're getting on. But for now, Paul, stay safe and thank you ever so much for the interview. Thanks, Rob. You too. Take care. So there you go. That's the first half of my conversation with Paul. We actually went on to talk about several more interesting distinctions that Paul makes about leadership and fundraising right now. But as you may know, I always try to keep these episodes roughly half an hour long so that you can digest the ideas in manageable chunks. But I promise I'll share the second half of the interview soon. If you want to make sure you don't miss it or any of these other episodes to help solve problems during the pandemic, do hit subscribe today. The other thing you could do if you'd like more information about what Paul and I discussed is to check out my new book, Power Through the Pandemic. In the book, which was inspired by more than 20 interviews I've recently conducted with excellent fundraisers like Paul, I share seven key strategies that are leading to success in corporate, 
major gifts and trusts fundraising during this crisis. And one of these seven is leadership, which I look at in chapter six. There I explore the five essentials that Paul and I talked about in our interview. If you'd like a copy of this book, you can download it for free from brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash power. That's brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash power. And if you found my discussion with Paul helpful, I'd be really grateful if you could take a moment to share this episode on with your colleagues or on social media. And if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. We're both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Paul is at Scott Tall Paul and I'm at Woods underscore Rob. Finally, thank you so much for listening today. I know it's not easy to find time and space to keep learning when you're under pressure and I hope it reinforced some helpful ideas for you about leadership during a crisis. Until the next time, stay safe and good luck with all your efforts to make a positive difference.